I'll be bringing you our readings today. Our theme today is that we should follow Jesus' example and our Bible readings explain this. Here for us today are four challenges and invitations. Love, 1 John 3, 16 to 18. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgement. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Forgive from Ephesians 4, 31 to 5, verse 2. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Serve, from John chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? he asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Suffer, from Peter chapter 2. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, 
he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's a great delight and privilege to be preaching this morning. We're taking the theme of Jesus, our example, and here is a prayer we're going to pray together before the sermon. Together. Lord our God, you have made us in your image and you are transforming us into the image and likeness of our glorious Lord Jesus by the power of Holy Spirit. Forgive us our sins and help us to follow Jesus, to love, to forgive, to serve and to suffer, that we too may live for your glory. We ask these prayers in Christ our Saviour's name. Amen. Well, the theme of Christ, our example, is often expressed by the question, what would Jesus do? And uh, that's often summarised to WWJD, what would Jesus do? It's a good question to ask, but not always easy to find the answer. Would Jesus own a mobile phone, for example? Well, you could think of reasons for and against. I suppose the strongest one against is that there weren't mobile phone towers in Jesus' day, so it wouldn't have worked very well. Uh, Here's a topical one. Would Jesus have been vaccinated? Whoa. I won't won't give an answer to that one. But the, the the next one is easy. Would Jesus follow a Mediterranean diet? I think the answer is yes. He would. I'm reliably informed that if you go to a Kurong bookshop, you can buy a WWJD uh, bracelet, which you can wear around your, uh, your wrist to remind you to ask the question, even if you don't know the answer. I'm also informed that this is the most stolen object from the Kurong bookshop. <laughs> Well, at least they know they need it. I'm sure Jesus wouldn't steal a what-would-Jesus-do bracelet from the Kurong bookshop. Why should we take Jesus as our example? Well, we humans are made in the image of God. We're made to be images of God. Reminders of God, presences of God, symbols of God, representatives of God. We're also told to put off the old self, 
which is corrupted by its deceitful desires, and put on the new self created to be, here's the word, like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we're made in the image of God and so we're being shaped in the likeness of God, in the, in the image of God. And of course, Christ is the image of the invisible God. So if we're like Christ, we are like God. To be Christ-like is to be like God. Well, what does this mean on the ground in terms of mobile phones, vaccinations and diets? Well, the New Testament explains very clearly what things we are meant to do because Jesus did them. And they all focus on Christ's suffering and death on the cross. Don't say wear sandals as Jesus did. The New Testament doesn't say do miracles as Jesus did. The New Testament doesn't say wander around like a first century hippie as Jesus did. There are four challenges that relate to Christ's example in his suffering and death on the cross. They are to love, to forgive, to serve and to suffer. These are four fundamental values which shape who we are, what choices we make, what good we can do in the world and four fundamental choices which form who we become. Christ is an example of love. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Let me tell you about the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. Her name was Heather. She was an old age pensioner living in the public housing in Paran. She was at that time, I think, 78. She was ill. Uh, she used a walker to, to move around. But she told me one day after church with her face beaming with joy that the local council had agreed to give her money so that she could cook lunch for her neighbours who didn't like Meals on Wheels. So each morning she went down to the market and bought some food and took it home and cooked it and then served it on a tray to each of her neighbours. And she said, with her face beaming, so I always buy a bunch of flowers so I can put a flower on everybody's tray so they know they're special. The most beautiful thing about her was that she was not boasting for a moment. She was sharing a joy and a privilege with me. And in the smile on her face and the delight in her eyes, I saw a reflection 
of the self-giving of the Lord Jesus Christ. She was a beautiful image of Christ, a beautiful image of God. And her example still lightened my life. What does love look like when we love our brothers and sisters at St Jude's? It means in John's words that we lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So no sacrifice is too great to make for the welfare of our brothers and sisters in our church in this congregation. How might this apply? Let me choose what could be regarded as a trivial illustration. Church music. What a great opportunity to forbear with one another and forgive each other. And I've often said in sermons... I'm just waiting for the day when somebody says to me, I hated the last song, but the person in front of me loved it, so can we please have it again next Sunday? It never happened until I was preaching at the cathedral on forbearance and forgiveness. And I said, I'm still waiting for the day when somebody says to me, I didn't like the last song. In fact, I hated it, but the person in front of me loved it. Can we have it again next Sunday? And as I was having a cup of coffee after the service, two giggling choir boys came up, grinning, and one of them said to me very quickly, I didn't like that last hymn, but my friend here liked it very much, so can we have it again next Sunday, please? I roared with laughter. I thought, he was not only listening, but he's got some wit. (laughs) So I said, I'll write that in my diary tonight for the first time ever. But often we test church by what makes us feel good, what, what meets our needs, what makes us happy. That's how we evaluate church. But really the question is, what pleases God? And what do others like? And I've chosen a trivial example because it's often in trivial matters that our love is tested. Take driving, for example. I usually drive with revenge as my motivation. <laughs> with Mixed with a little bit of, well, competition, basically. And so I find it really difficult to drive in a loving way. The only way I can do it, and I must say uh, it doesn't happen every time, is before I drive to say to God, 
The other people on the road, pedestrians, cyclists, people who drive white vans and pull out in front of me, and big trucks, they're all my neighbours whom I have to love. So if as I drive I pray for each person on the road, then I can restrain my rage. If I neglect to love them and care for them, the competition and rage... You know, would you believe it? I'm in a hurry to get somewhere to do something really important. These people come out and drive on the road just in my way. How do they know? Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Church ought to be a festival, a family of love. Let's keep quiet for a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to each of us, to encourage us, to direct our thinking, to challenge us and to fill us with his love. And love leads to forgiveness. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every kind of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. One reason, I think, why we have so much need to forgive others is because we find forbearance difficult. Forbearance is accepting the fact that people are different and won't do everything we want them to do, and it's a good way to live. But if we are, uh, as in my case, an immensely selfish person, then we lack forbearance, and then we think other people have offended us. So then we need to forgive them. So, here's how it works. The less forbearance you have, the more forgiveness you need to offer. That's true in marriage, isn't it? I'm an expert on marriage, by the way. I've watched so many of them. <laughs> forbearance and forgiveness. Now, this is a, a, a big subject for me because... When I was first ordained, I worked as a curate in St. James Ivanhoe. We had lots of old people's homes in the parish and one of the curate's job was to visit the old people's homes and indeed the people in them. <laughs> uh, the vicar only explained that in the second week of my visiting old people's <laughs> homes. But the thing which I remember is someone, someone would say to me, uh, I haven't spoken to her for 30 years. In other words, they were boasting about the maintenance of rage for 30 years. Isn't that awful? It was just, I, I just didn't know how to respond. How do you respond to that? Kept alive by anger, by, by, uh, by, by rage and frustration. 
But it's not just an issue for old people because it's very hard to break the habit of 30 years unforgiveness. It's an issue for young people today, isn't it? If you express the wrong opinion or if you have the wrong values or wear the wrong gear, will you be unfriended or cancelled? And then is there possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation? It's a big issue in uh, politics. I read Senator Button's autobiography in which he reported that in the days of the purges in the Labour Party, and this is not a political statement, by the way, in the days of the purges in the Labour Party, one man was expelled for life from the Labour Party and 100 years. <laughs> in case he made a comeback. I was talking to a, a, a neighbour I hadn't met who told me that he wasn't, uh, wasn't a Christian but had been brought up a Methodist. We were talking about public life and he said to me, you know, people in public life don't admit they've done wrong to others nowadays. I said, there's a bit of Methodist still in you, isn't there? <laughs> because we agreed that what people say rather than I have done wrong is I feel I have let myself down which is not saying I've done wrong, something wrong, or I'm full of remorse, which means I'm full of self-pity, not, not pity for the person I've wronged, but for myself. Or, this is the lovely one I love, I'm sorry you feel hurt. <laughs> which is a lovely way to cover the fact that I'm not sorry at all about what I've done, isn't it? Well, C.S. Lewis wrote, <coughs> to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. To be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable in others because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. But to forgive someone is not to say that the person has done no, not, a, not done any wrong or to diminish the offence or diminish the hurt and damage, but is to say that Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, for you as well as me. And Christ's sacrifice is so great and so significant that it relativizes all the hurts and pains of our life. No sin is too great to forgive, though uh, sexual abuse, physical abuse, psychological abuse may take years. It may take years to produce healthy forgiveness. But Christian churches ought to be families of forgiveness. You might note in the Ephesians reading, uh, Paul says, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, instead forgiving one another. I don't think uh, polite people in Western society go in for bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, though it does sound fun, I must admit. I think what we do when we're hurt is to produce a kind of demilitarised zone between us and the person 
who's hurt us. So we can maintain a kind of careful but cold distance. Follow Christ's example. Follow God's example. Walk in the way of love. Forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. If we love, we serve. I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. No task is too humble in serving each other. Or Jesus again from Mark chapter 10. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But serving is so difficult, isn't it? In a larger church, in a small church, say a church of six or ten people, you know who's doing what, don't you? But in a large church, you think, well, there must be somebody else out there who could do this with less difficulty than me. I was speaking at a Bible college in Geneva and the students at the Bible college were doing the serving. They were serving the food and cleaning the toilets. I assume they didn't do the same thing together, but you know what I mean. They were doing all the hard work, basically. So I said to each student, you remind me of somebody I know, Jesus Christ. He was a servant too. So the most beautiful people in our church are those who love and forgive and those who serve. The moments are quiet for the Holy Spirit to help us to reflect on forgiveness and service. Love, forgive, serve, suffer. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. That is, he entrusted himself to God. Once again, the death of Christ on the cross is our example. What's it like to suffer because you're a Christian in our world? Well, I think our world currently has the rule that you can believe what you like as long as you don't open your mouth and talk about it. And the threat, I think, is not imprisonment, but exclusion. 
or as I read this week, we have to be willing to brave tweetings when the apostles braved beatings. I was speaking at a, an evangelist's conference in India and uh, one of the, ev- the evangelists asked me, what do we do wrong that we suffer for our faith and you in the West don't? And I said, I think you try and convert people. And I said, I think our time of suffering will come. But God is like a good Depression-era housekeeper. Nothing is wasted in his economy. No prayer, no growth in godliness, no self-discipline, no good deed, no good endeavour, no sacrifice and no suffering. And what are the encouragements to love, forgive, serve and suffer? Such a demanding list. The encouragements are that Christ dignified loving, forgiving, serving and suffering. When we love, forgive, serve and suffer, we're like Christ. Another encouragement is that we are being transformed into Christ's image with ever-increasing glory by the Lord who is the Spirit. Or that Christ will change our bodies one day to be like his glorious body. We shall be like Jesus for we shall see him as he is. That is, it's God's program, God's plan, God's power which transforms us daily into the image of Christ. This is God's plan for us his great goodwill for us. And the promise is suffering now, glory later, as we used to say, no cross, no crown. Where should we love, forgive, serve and suffer? Well, you might notice all the New Testament references are to doing it inside the church. They're about how we should live in the church community, a community life of the church. It's how we relate, how we respond, how we love, forgive, serve and suffer is of great importance to God. And so much, so often the test of our life with God is not what we decide to do but our reactions and responses. And this is a kind of community training I think where we learn to love our believing neighbour who may be very unlike us but shares the same grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. But I think our training in church is to prepare us for service in the world. For we're also told to love your neighbour as yourself. When I'm talking to uh, young people about what job they're going to do, I always ask them the question, how will you love your neighbour by doing that job? And we as a congregation and members of this church are called to love our neighbour. 
as Christ loved his neighbour. But we are each best placed to work out how to put these values into practice in our own personal context. You may be a banker, a baker, a barrister or a barista. What it means to love will vary according to your context. You may be a doctor, a dentist, a dry cleaner or a driver, a social worker, a scientist, a student or a psychologist. You may be a politician, a musician, a beautician or an electrician. But you have to work out the way in which you represent God and Christ in your context. Your daily work may be unpaid, paid, overpaid, underpaid, voluntary or sometimes involuntary. But you have to work out uh, and God will give you the wisdom to know how to be Christ-like in the world. And we have various passions, don't we? I've made a short list of them here. Overseas missions, climate change, indigenous welfare, truth-telling and reconciliation, the persecuted church, social and financial inequality in Australia and in the world, employment, underemployment, fair wages, fair pensions, refugees, migrants and stateless people, nuclear weapons, injustice and education, two-thirds world health, racism, corporate crime, crime, the effects of social media, transgender issues, mental health, education, theological colleges, or there may be a particular country in the world which God has placed on your heart. It may be the welfare of your own immediate neighbourhood. But with the principles and values that we've talked about this morning, you'll serve effectively and do good work for God as you love your neighbour in these contexts. For you have the specialist knowledge and understanding of your particular context. If you resolve to serve God to be Christ-like in your love and actions to love your neighbour, then you will do good works for God's glory and to benefit others. Four, to transform this world, we need to love, forgive, serve and suffer. Methodologies are important, but powerless without moral values. Structural change must express these values of love, forgiveness, service and suffering. Long-term policies and programs must express these values. There is no progress in our world without these Christ-like values. Beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, I appeal to you, I urge you, I encourage you to seek your highest destiny and become more and more like the Lord Jesus. That you grow more and more into the image of God who made you in his image. That you're transformed more and more into the image of Christ by the daily work of the Spirit within you. That in this church we love one another as Christ has loved us. And in this world, you love your neighbour as God gives you opportunity and energy and wisdom in your daily life. May God engrave these words of Holy Scripture in our lives, our memories, our desires, our hopes, our words and our actions for Christ's sake. Amen.
Now we stand to say together the prayer which we prayed at the beginning of the sermon. Together, Lord our God, you have made us in your image and you are transforming us into the image and likeness of our glorious Lord Jesus by the power of Holy Spirit. Forgive us our sins and help us to follow Jesus, to love, to forgive, to serve and to suffer, that we too may live for your glory. We ask these prayers in Christ our Saviour's name. Amen.